Hey everyone, welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend queer films, books, TV shows, and more. I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer for Bold Strokes Books, and this week I'm recommending a TV series on Paramount+. And I'm Tara Scott. I review sapphic fiction at the Lesbian Review and Smart Bitches Trashy Books. And this week, I am recommending a short manga series. Mm. If you would like to support the show, there's links in our show notes where you can contribute to our coffee, sign up for our newsletter, any of our socials, or you can even just tell a friend about us if you think they need more queer media recommendations. Word of mouth is an amazing thing. We have listener questions today it has been a while it has we have a few and i think they're pretty juicy so i'm excited about this yes so the first one we have is from harley so harley asks who is your overall favorite couple from sapphic books and who is your favorite couple from oh for me (laughs) for one of my books (laughs) yes all right so tara first of all i think this is a rude question no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) like to say just one oh it's hard yes mm-hmm. just the one because when i think about like okay who are some of the couples that i've really really loved mm. obviously you know vivian and jules from uh sorry i got i i did that pause is like er, wait is that their names because <laughs> i get the characters confused yes. the character names confused from Truth and Measure and Above All Things, the the Carlisle series from Rosalind Sinclair and Melena Mackay's The Delicate Things We Make, because they both have Vivians mm-hmm. that are both the ice cream characters. And Truth and Measure has Jules and The Delicate Things We Make has Jamie. And actually, I love both of these couples very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I also actually... See, this is where it's tough because I have like favorite couples maybe for certain authors, like for Melina, right. my favorite couple of hers for sure is the couple from the headmistress. I mm-hmm. love, love, love that book. But yeah, the couple from Truth or Measure is just an incredible one for me. I still love like if I go back to kind of when I was starting to read Lesfic um, and even a couple of years into that, like the couple from Kiss the Girl, Melissa Braden's oh, book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Like one of my top five love so much. I love them. And of course the red files by Lee winter, like Catherine Ayers and Lauren, like I love them so much, but if I have to pick one, I feel like I'm being asked to kill my babies, which is rude. <laughs> uh, rude, Harley rude. <laughs> so rude. I'm it's probably going to have to be the Carlisle series. Ooh. I know. I made a decision. I know it's hard. It's we read too many good books. And well, when yeah. we were talking about this before, you started talking about Radcliffe <laughs> a little bit, and I mean, even some of hers, like there are like because she, she does so many series, mm-hmm. and so I love the honor series. I love the main couple, but then I love even some of the sub couples. And like, there's one I asked about it. When was it? Oh, I asked Radcliffe about it when I was recording on the Let's Do Books podcast. I was like, can we get one for Valerie and Diane? Like, can we get their book, please? (laughs) And apparently I'm not the only person who's asked, but we continue to not have their book. Well, yeah. Is what I will say. (laughs) She's running a company. Come on. (laughs) Yes, but for sure, Radcliffe, Quinn, and Honor, for sure. I mean, they're a favorite couple. I think they're a favorite couple for a lot of of Lesvik readers. Oh, many. 
right. so many. And I also like, I'm a little bit afraid because I didn't <laughs> mention. So just so no one comes after me. Of course, <laughs> I love the couple from and playing the role of yourself. Oh, yeah. They are wonderful. Similarly, I love the couple from All That Matters by Susan X. Maher, which I read. God, I have no idea how many times. Um, Poppy Jenkins by, right. you know, Fair. like there's mm-hmm. so many <laughs> that are. Yeah, that was an reason. unfair question. Which is also kind of the best kind. That's true. Because it makes us like talk about it for like a half an hour. And then we're like, maybe we should record this. <laughs> I know. Right. Okay. So to the second half of the question, though. Who is your favorite couple from one of your books? Uh, that's a tough one too. I'm going to have, well, I have two. Well, shit. There's so many. <laughs> so I like them right? for different reasons. Yeah. So obviously, uh, Brooke and Cassie, they're a, they're a fan favorite. Uh, everybody oh, yeah. loves Temptation, Brooke and Cassie. I mean, I love them. I love them because uh, Brooke's an ice queen and because Cassie just doesn't give a fuck about anything. But She's so awkward and she's fun and she's trying to be flirty and she's failing. So I really like their dynamic because it doesn't seem like they're ever going to get together and they do. And you're just like, how did that happen? So I really like them. And then of course I love Claire and Emery from not guilty. I mean, and shameless. I mean, yeah, they're, they have, they have a really good relationship. And so I had so much fun writing them. Now I'm trying to think of what's my favorite of yours and I'm doing the thing where I'm like, cause there's been so many and we've talked right. about this before about how my memory <laughs> is not the best. And Mine as we talked about, about two last days. time, we perhaps know why now uh, with an ADHD <laughs> diagnosis. Yes. Yes. And so it's like, excuse me while I go over to Goodreads <laughs> where stall. I can remind myself. <laughs> That's true. Right? Okay. I'm going to say a thing that I firmly believe. Mm-hmm. I don't think forget me not gets enough love. <laughs> I love fucking book. love that book. I loved it so, so much. And, and, and I'm even, even looking at the ratings, like I'm not saying it's rated badly on Goodreads. It absolutely is not at all. Like it's well over the four stars, but I just don't see people talking about it enough. I know. So yeah, I mean, it hits, it hits. I don't remember when it was published, but it kind of got like, just like nobody, nobody read it and that's okay. Okay. I think it's because the cover does not convey. (laughs) You hate that cover. (laughs) I do. I hate that cover because that book is so like, it's passionate and it's sexy and the characters are so dynamic and you look at the cover and it's like this is a chill tranquil scene and i'm like and it's not it's funny because that kind of book (laughs) brit Ryder came out of that book because i really pushed the limits Mm -hmm. sexually as far as writing and so like that book is super hot so if you like temptation you need to go back and pull up forget me not because Mm -hmm. like I that is like one step below erotic romance for sure. It might even be yeah. on the same playing field. It's very, very hot. And so I just figured, you know what, if I can write this, I can just push it a little bit further and write erotica. And so that's so Brit Ryder came out of that book. Yeah. I don't know if it's still like a thing or even like a distinction kind of anymore. I remember 
way back before I was a staff writer at Smart Bitches Trashy Books when I was just a fan of the site. Gosh, it's probably more than a decade ago. And they were talking about how like those books that are not quite erotic or romance, but there's like something more than a regular kind of contemporary romance. Mm-hmm. And they were talking at that point about like spicy romances to cover that. And that's where I feel like Forget Me Not falls in. Yeah. Oh, right. I agree. I love that book. People go read that book. That's my favorite couple <laughs> from Chris's book. Yay. Books. And I like I I love a lot of the couples. Obviously, I love the couple who like <laughs> listen and falling and like the same one you listed already like they're all great but like that one just holds a special place in my Mm -hmm. heart because i just like somebody read this and talk to me so far no one's talked to me it's like carrie carrie and maybe is it grace i honestly can't remember the names (laughs) i know well who am i asking what am i thinking (laughs) yeah you're asking the one person who can't remember remember uh, (laughs) titles or character names that's true uh, all right next question kb asks favorite ice queen <laughs> question mark another rude question another rude question chris do you have so i'm gonna throw it to you first do you have a favorite ice queen i can't answer this there are way too many it's one of my favorite tropes right uh, ice cream i mean i just love them so i can't really answer that i'm gonna throw it to you because i know like you like have a, a bunch lot. yes yeah ice queens uh ice queens are one of my absolute favorite tropes too and i think because <laughs> it's one of those that works really well in a number of settings like i love ice queen celebrity i love ice queen mm-hmm. workplace i love ice queen enemies to lovers i love you know there i was about to say ice queen friends to lovers i don't think it exists if any author is listening to this and is inclined to say how would you write an ice queen romance in a friends to lovers I would love to see it. Please write that book and tag me when it's published. (laughs) Um, So I don't think I can. Well, I definitely can't pick just one off the bat. So I guess I'm going to name a bunch and then I'll force myself to pick one because I really loved the music in the mirror by Lola Keeley. And Mm -hmm. I think that has a really excellent, excellent ice queen situation Mm -hmm. going on there as someone who you know, you're talking about like it's ballet, but I think one of the things that comes across is ballet is almost like an extreme sport. Oh yeah. For and sure. seeing a romance kind of come out of that world where we're talking about two people that have this intense passion for ballet and develop one for each other. And, but like one of them is an ice queen and like not one of the chiller ice queens out there. I quite like that. Obviously, again, we'll go back to a couple of what I was talking about in the couples. So Vivian, both Vivians, frankly, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's just certain authors that do really excellent, excellent ice queens. I think the authors writing some of the best, like, and when I say this, I want to caveat it, right? There's Mm -hmm. lots of great ice queens kind of all over the place, but there are certain handful of authors that write more of them than other people. So that's, that's what I'm talking about with this. Um, That's where you see Lee Winter. Melana Mackay, Rosalind Sinclair. And I'm going to throw one in that I think a lot of people don't necessarily count, but absolutely counts is Rachel Spangler. Like, oh, yeah. She has written quite hey, a yeah. few, doesn't write only, but like has written enough that I would include them in that mm-hmm. group mm-hmm. of people who write quite a few and like fucking great ones that have like actually pissed me off intensely. <laughs> so, like, 
I'm going to say a controversial thing because in development, I've seen get kind of almost universal love. People love that book. And I would say that I appreciated that book, but that ice queen, I wanted to shake the shit out of her (laughs) because of how she operated sometimes. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think that's a really good thing because it challenged me and Mm -hmm. it challenged my thinking. And so I really appreciated that. So in that respect, I would say that's probably one of my favorites, but I think another favorite would have to be one that we talked about very recently, which was Michelle Hastings in Chaos Age, in the Fixer and Chaos Agent, mm-hmm. Lee Winter's new um, duology. And I think the thing that I love about that particular Ice Queen story is, is what I talked about in that episode. If you haven't listened to it, please go back. It's just one or two. It's two episodes two. Uh, mm-hmm. behind this one. But what I loved is it was so different because we don't just see the ice queen melts and like oh she's only sweet kind of around this character and then she's still like the ice queen all the time we see a true like transformation of who she is fundamentally as a person how she operates in the world and i think that's so interesting because it turns into what i'm imagining in her future is she can tap into the ice queen when she needs it Mm -hmm. but like they're doing change the world type work. So she's probably not going to need to do it unless it's in like certain fundraising cases, which would be like very special as she's like matching herself to whoever she's trying to get to give some money over or whatever. So yeah, I think (laughs) those are probably the ones which feels so weird to say, because if you would have asked me that like last year, I would have said Catherine Ayers and then just walked away and not thought about it. Yeah, like I think those two books really shifted my thinking in some ways, which I find very exciting. Like to see, I mean, I'm excited when any book does that for me, Mm -hmm. but when a romance does it for me, I get extra excited. So, yeah. Okay. Did you come up with an ice queen yet? Or are you just no, not doing I'm it? just listening to you. Yeah. I was like, no, yeah, it's that one. That oh, well, that's one. perfect. I mean, I okay. I picked two. Every time. I picked yeah. two. Do you want to have do you want to have the character from in development? And then I'll just hang on to Michelle Hastings. I will okay. let you borrow mine. I will borrow yours for that question. Thank you. Okay. Last question, Vita Lakari. <laughs> and I am excited Vita. to hear the answer to this one. Uh, Vita says, though I'm late at reading it, I just finished always and want to know where Chris got her inspiration for such an incredible book. Aww, so Chris, so sweet. what is your inspiration for always? So I had to really think back, like it's been a while since I've written that it's been a spell. So who says that it's been a spell? You. <laughs> who am I? I, know. I don't know. Is that a Midwestern thing? I no, know. it's not at all. Oh, I don't know where that came from. Is it a Southern thing? um i is it actually a thing is it like a british thing i don't know what that is that's a good one i have to look that one up Ah! okay Okay, so i had to think about it i was like where did i come up with this idea and so i think i got the idea from the reboot of veronica mars because Mm -hmm. this starts off i thought how cool would it be to write a story about a private investigator who's just getting started and like what would be a really cool case and when Mm -hmm. when we were growing up we were reading books like nancy drew trixie belden 
um, those kind of books and it was, or Encyclopedia Brown, where they always had like a something to solve. Yeah. And so I thought, how cool would it be to get something as your first assignment and have it be like some family mystery? So, so I was like, okay, okay, this is good. I'll go with this, this family mystery. Yeah. And it's her, you know, it's her great grandmother who passes and gives her uh, a packet of information and just, I say information, it's a, it's a, a locket yeah. with a, a photo from the 1940s inside this little heart locket and the words say, find her on it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like, that is such a typical you know, any sort of book slash movie PI thing. Like that's how everything starts off. So I just kind of went with it. I wasn't, I didn't really know how it was going to go or where that were, I didn't know the history. So I just kind of wrote it as I went and I had to do a lot of studying and, and I thought it was more, you know, it takes place during at the very end of world war two. And then at the beginning of after the war, and that's kind of where I say it takes place. It's it's past and present. So you've got, you know, this private investigator looking for her great grandmother's person that she wants her to find, and then you know it's modern day time. So and you you learn about um, the great grandparents or great grandmothers through letters, letters that mm-hmm. they uh, that they sent back and forth. And I remember reading somebody was like, I, I read a review and somebody was like, well, how could you not mention everything that happened during the war during these letters and I'm like because it's a romance and sometimes you (laughs) don't need to write about what's happening all the time you just move on and like Mm -hmm. a couple letters you know there was like a mention of the war but it wasn't like like some people were mad that I didn't talk about everything that happened during that horrific war and I was like because it's a romance it's not a fucking history book Yeah, I mean, I sort of get it if you're specifically trying to create a historical romance, but but I didn't get the sense that you were. Yeah, Yeah, it's not. It really isn't. It's just the history part just takes place in the letters. And you're just trying to figure out, like, who is this person? Who is this woman in the locket? That's it. So, yeah, this isn't the same as letters never sent. Right. It's not like that at all. It's just it's literally a, a packet of love letters, you know, and and a locket. I don't even think that that's true. I don't even think that they had the letters at the time. It was just finding out who this person was. Mm-hmm. And so just the mystery of that. And so that's kind of how I came up with it. It all kind of started with Veronica Mars. You know, I never would have guessed that. But also, I kind of love it because Veronica Mars was such a great yes, show. It was. It really was. Hmm. All right. Chris. Yes. What have you been reading or watching lately? Okay. So last time we talked about the show, uh, the prequel slash miniseries called 1923. And guess what? What? Spencer still hasn't made it home. Like the no. season is over. It's done. No. It's done. He never made it home. But oh boy. Uh-huh. I found out that there is a second season. Oh. So why couldn't they do a second season of 1883? Because uh, there were so many unanswered questions there. And I was devastated when that ended. And so then I was like, when this happened, when when I watched the final episode of 1923, I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Like they, mm-hmm. like, what? And so mm-hmm. then I Googled that they are, uh, that they do have a season two. So at least we'll get some oh, answers. Good. You know, we'll get some answers. So that's good. So, because I really need Spencer to get home. Because apparently it takes like four years to get from Africa to, you know, Yellowstone. 
It takes a long time and not four years, but it's taking a super fucking long time. Wow. Yeah, that is a long time. By the time like the letter gets to him in Africa, it's been several months. Oh. And then him trying to get passage back to America, that's yeah. also several months. So we're talking, this is like, it's probably going to be two years by the time he gets back. That's insane. But anyway. Mm-mm. Yeah. So I'm watching that and uh, I finished that up. Okay. And um, so I have spent a lot of my free time watching reality shows. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I watched The Perfect Match and two of the contestants were from the show The Mole. So mm. then I'm like, oh, what's that? But I digress. Uh, yes. Let's go back to The Perfect Match. It does have a queer couple on it, but the entire show was such a time sucker and a complete waste of time. And like two contestants labeled themselves as bi, but I'm 99% sure that they just did it for show and for camera time. Well, Francesca is actually bi and is with a trans man now. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was how I found out about the show, which I have not watched. I just did some like I I read the like where are they now type stuff. Oh, did you? Okay, um, I haven't done that. Because how did this happen? I think it was my phone was like, hey, you should read this article about what's her name, and um, it was talking about how she wanted to leave the show, and then they said, no, 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 you can you can actually go on a date with that other woman if you want. And she was like, okay, cool, Abby. but. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the whole experience was so awful that when she got out of there, she texted this guy who they're like an on again, off again couple. And she texted him to say, I just did this show and it was really traumatizing. Can we hang out, please? And they've been together since then. That's so here's the deal. So Francesca, when when it first came out, I was like, I dig her. I really dig her. And like the first two episodes, she she wasn't like real bitchy or anything. It was just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she was just kind of like everybody wanted to date her. Like they all wanted to hook up with Francesca. And then like about season or episode three or four, like her bitchiness came out. And I was like, ha, oh, never mind. She is not yeah. somebody I would date. But it just felt forced. Everything yeah. about that show just I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that she was really interested in Abby. So maybe. It wasn't for show. Maybe I still think now I'm going to have to say, I I still think it's for show, but good that she's queer. Mm -hmm. But the person that she hooked up with on the show, like their interactions were so uncomfortable. And you know how I am about chemistry. I I got to feel it. Like I have to feel it. And I did not feel it. So I was a little upset about that. Like, okay, this is fake. So, but I'm glad that I know this about her now. Yeah. Because in the show, she like hugged this giant of a man. Mm-hmm. And as she's hugging him and saying goodbye, she's like, oh, we're going to see each other outside of the show. So it's like things like that, that they pick up that you're just like, okay, this is so fake. What am I doing? Wasting, you know, 12 hours of my life. Yeah. So, so for the people who haven't watched it, my understanding is that it's a dating show where they bring contestants from a bunch of the other Netflix reality shows mm-hmm. and throw them together in this like tropical location and give them a bunch of booze and are like, hey, go bang it out if you want. Right. And not. you have to pick you have to pick somebody or you go home like you have to match up with somebody or by the end of the night you go home. So everybody's like scrambling around trying to hook up with somebody and they're like, oh, I really liked you, but you were talking to this person. And so then they match up and so they're there for another day in the show and i forgot i I think like the winner who's considered the perfect match the winner mm-hmm. got a trip all expense paid trip to anywhere in the world they wanted to go 
I think they didn't end the- up going on the trip. Did they not? That's what I read. Ah, I need to <laughs> read what you read because I'm sitting here wondering. Oh, I wonder if they're still together. Oh, I wonder no. if they're. Uh, they Nobody didn't go. Is still I would together. fake it. I would fake it just to go on this mass. I mean, oh, you faked know, it the right? whole time. Why can't you just like fake it to go on the trip? It's a great question. It really is. I don't know. It just sounds like fuckery. Like, is that what these people's jobs are? Yeah. Like when you look at like for me hearing that Shane and Damien and like Shane was the uh, fucking Shane. worst. Well, no, he wasn't the no. worst. He on wasn't the worst. He was he the was second worst. The Shake was the worst. Which one? Oh, Chase. Yeah. No, Shake. Shake. Who was remember Shake? the Indian guy who was with he went he went to, he went to the altar with Deepti and then she's like I'm uh, not going to marry uh, you. Right. And I, I was totally like thank forgot. goodness because yes. she is a queen and he right. is a shitbag. Um, right. and then I thought Shane was the next worst after him on that season. And then <laughs> yeah, you're right. Damien. <laughs> I don't know. I thought he was really un- unfair. Like no, I, I thought the way he treated Giannini was really unfair. Right. It was very unfair. I'm not going to say she's perfect, but yeah. So then I was like, wait, wait, wait. So they go, so they each have gone and done that season. And mm. now they've gone and done this. Like, do these people have jobs? Or is I this their jobs? don't know. Like, I think, uh, is this the opportunity to be on television? Is this their goal in life to be mm. on TV? Like, I felt like the only genuine, and I say genuine with, like, tongue-in-cheek, but yeah, yeah. Um, the only genuine person was a woman, her name is Ines, I think, mm-hmm. Ines, and she had a, she has a French accent, so of course, you know, I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, you're not and mad she at was that. like, there, I'm not mad at that at all, and I think that she was really there to find love, and so, like, mm-hmm. she tried several times to just leave. She tried to make mm-hmm. it work with people um that she was attracted to i think physically or emotionally and then she just couldn't match up because everybody's a ding dong so yeah. she just she's like i'm out i'm sorry and i'm like hmm, there's my number yeah. <laughs> yeah. she's pretty she was she was she was attractive but she was also very smart and she really wanted love and i feel like yeah she kind of got shafted on that show oh, no yeah so i'm sad about that so maybe yeah. she'll end up being like the bachelorette or something somewhere down the line yeah. Who knows? You never know. So because of that show, then I'm like, oh, two of the characters, Dom and Will, were from The Mole. And I'm like, what's mm-hmm. The Mole? I don't know the show The Mole. Yeah. So then I got sucked into it and I will never watch it again because <laughs> my anxiety level was at a 10 the whole time. But of course, I had to finish it. I had to figure out who The Mole yes. was and who the uh who won the game like the game winner won a hundred thousand dollars and so i had to watch it just to see who won yeah and did you guess correctly i guessed them all correctly because that person couldn't act for shit um (laughs) and as far as uh the winner i guess i really didn't think about the winner i was more concerned Mm. with finding out who the mole was like i didn't care who won the money i just knew that oh this person's fake because i've seen enough reality shows and like let me tell you something actors are not given enough credit because like people who pretend mm-hmm. to be something they're not. I mean, if you're just an average Joe, average Joeet, average <laughs> person trying to do this kind of show, you will fail miserably because yeah. you don't have the experience, the acting experience. And so uh, I kind of knew who the mole was right away. Yeah. So, anyway, so yeah. Uh, and right now I'm just in the middle of edits. So I just got edits back for uh, for one of my books and I'm trying Ooh. to get this other book written and it's not happening because I'm still struggling a little bit emotionally and yeah 
So who knows what's uh, what's coming out uh, next year for me? I, I don't think there's going to be a lot, but, but that's what I've been whatever working comes on. out is going to be good. Let's hope so. Let's hope yeah. so. What about you? What have you been reading or watching lately? All right. So obviously still watching Drag Race season 15. I don't think there's anything really that worth talking about. So we're just going to move on. So yeah, ah, still yay. watching in case. Uh, well, my fear is I've talked about it every other episode. So if I weren't to even mention it, somebody might say, has she what been happened? body snatched? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's Who going on? But something that Neil and I got into and we watched over the last week is it's on Netflix. It's called mm-hmm. Physical 100. We got pretty obsessed with it. So it's a show that's based out of Korea. And the idea is that they are trying to find the person with the best physique in all of Korea, who mm-hmm. has the best, strongest, uh, best endurance, like kind of all that. Mm-hmm. And so they start with the reason it's called 100, the 100s in the title is they start with 100 contestants and they go from there. So there is nine episodes and they have a series of challenges that they have to go through. And so the first challenge, there's almost like, um, so there's five rounds, but there's almost like a pre-round, I guess. There's like a pre-challenge that is still incredibly fucking challenging on its own where they make these people hang on to it's this like big metal (laughs) framing thing and they have to hang on to it for Mm -hmm. as long as they can and then and they have them like split into two groups so 50 people are hanging on the frame Mm -hmm. at a time and then based on like times they sorted into okay these were the 50 best people and these were the 50 worst people Mm -hmm. and the 50 best people get to choose one person to do something against in the next round. And they don't really know what it's going to be at that point, but it's like a grappling challenge almost. And so, and they can choose like the best people. They can choose from the people who didn't do the best or they can choose from the people who did do the best. Because I mean, some of the people who were down at like the very bottom of that, Mm -hmm. like numbers, I think it was like numbers 95 through 100 were like, some of the strongest men in Korea, like these big, strong dudes, which didn't mean they were bad at it. It just meant they couldn't hold their fucking body Body weight up on that sandwich. I thought it was a great challenge. I watched the first episode. And Mm. so like, I had to kind of get through the first 20 minutes. I had to kind of fast forward because everybody walked into this room and you had to find a bust of yourself. Like there's a a, a bust and you have to find it. Your torso. Yeah. And so you're looking for it and you meet everybody. I'm like, this is so boring because everybody's like, Oh, you're so yeah. That's big. most of the you're first so episode. <laughs> yeah, so like, oh. so I got to the hanging part, and I thought, what a brilliant, absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant challenge to start with, because some of these people cannot—they're so big and bulky. And you yeah. know, everybody there was looking at the biggest and bulkiest, going, "Yeah, we're not going to be—we're not going to win this." And yeah. so, the for the first challenge to have that to actually carry your own body weight or hold on your yes. is great. So yeah, I did watch that. I did watch the first episode, but then I, oh, I, just, I had a stupid so fucking mole to watch. <laughs> yeah. Well, and with this too, like you have to actually watch. It's not one you can really just put in the background unless right, I suppose you, you turn it. on. I don't know if there's a dubbed version. We watched it with the subtitles. So the individual challenges that like that was interesting to see. They also do group challenges. The only thing that we didn't really love is that especially when it came to like group challenges and choosing people that's when you see like the misogyny come out pretty much in full force is it's like oh yeah i'm gonna play against this team it's gonna be easy to win because there's more women in that team i'm just like fuck you dude and certain times where even the women themselves like you can see their internalized misogyny showing where it's like (laughs) okay look you're choosing but like 
I know we're women, but we're not like normal women. Like, look at us. We're like better. And I was like, oh, gross. But the thing we did love about it is that like, if you can at least like, if you can kind of put the misogyny to the side, which I won't judge if people are saying this is for me for that reason, they're so supportive of each other. And there's so much sportsmanship. And I just found that so lovely because I feel like if we were watching, I mean, sorry, Fred, but if we were watching an American show like this, there would be so much trash talking. Yeah, there would be. (laughs) And it's not like that. Like there might, there's like a little bit of gentle ribbing here and there about how they're going to be better. But when it comes time to like actually people are competing and participating, they're like cheering each other on. And when it gets down to the last couple of challenges, yeah, the last, uh, especially the second last challenge is one where it's like the teams got separated. And so they're like all individual contestants now mm-hmm. in uh, groups of four doing five different challenges. And what I found really, really beautiful is that when the people who were watching saw someone struggling not only were they encouraging them and cheering them on to keep going, but in some cases, even like calling out technique suggestions. Mm-hmm. Cause like if they can see someone's uh, struggling and if they change their technique, they'll be better. They're not holding it back. Cause like they want someone to struggle or they want them to fall behind. They're trying to help them out. And I just thought that was really beautiful. I would um, like to introduce you to survivor where that very thing happens. Does it you start off in teams? Yeah. And like you really help your, your team members, you pump them up. Yeah. And then when it gets down to individual, you know, that you're, you've developed a friendship with these people. It's been, you mm. know, it's like a month long or however long and you're with them 24 seven. I mean, yeah, there's some cattiness and some like behind the back thing. Cause you want to win this game. Yeah. But at the same time, everybody knows they're going to look like a douche if they don't support their team members. So, <laughs> but I also feel like with a uh, physical 100, that there were a lot of, uh, I say a lot, there were several like Olympic people. Oh yeah. They had, they just have a different mentality. Like this is a very supportive environment. You know, I think, I think Olympians are just very supportive. I mean, yes, there's a whole competition where you're dealing with, you know, different countries, but I feel like it's just a different mentality because you are the best of the best. And it's just, it was just, yeah. So there was a lot of respect when the Olympians came in the room. I noticed that. Everybody's yeah, like, oh that's my gosh, true. you're you're blah blah blah. And so yeah, so I did appreciate that. And it is completely different than American shows, but we do have some that have supporting, encouraging, you know, contestants. Some well, and also to be fair, like kind of on the flip side of that, there were probably more injuries that happened on this show than Ooh. would be allowed on an American show. Cause I think American shows. Like, not that you can't get injured on, say, like an American Ninja Warrior or something like that, but I do think mm-hmm. that health and safety standards in the U.S. Yeah. Um, pro- probably <laughs> because your culture is slightly more litigious. <laughs> For sure. But uh, that was the thing. Neil went in and he did a bunch of reading. And, like, you know, there's somebody who left that show with, like, a paralyzed arm. Like wow. there were some, yeah, there were some pretty gnarly injuries that happened as a result, but it was kind of cool to see you're right. There were Olympians, there were MMA fighters, there were CrossFitters, there were like military, like special forces people. Mm-hmm. One of the people mm-hmm. that ended up doing quite well and who was one of my favorites, he's an ice climber and oh. a search and rescue guy. 
That's and so cool. he's like, he's wiry, but like he went very far. So yeah, it was pretty cool. Love, love, love that. Um, so I might have to finish it then. Maybe, maybe. maybe. But like I said, the the misogyny kind of sucks mm. when it when it rears its head. Although in some cases too, like having women on a team is not always necessarily like a big liability. Like there is a one no. challenge where they have to move. So the second challenge, which is the first group when they have to move sand, but they have to build the the bridge before they can move the sand across it. And so there's these boards with these like big ass Velcro strips attached. Mm-hmm. And the person who built literally the best bridge was a woman. She's probably one of the tiniest women, but she's a stunt woman. Oh, so because she's a stunt woman, she knows how to do some stuff that other people just don't know how to do as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, oh, that's so cool. Good. Yeah, I so might have to watch it. <laughs> and then for reading, uh, we're going to say reading with my ears because they're audiobooks, which is still reading in my it opinion. Is. Some people it think is. it's not reading. I think that's rude and ableist. It's absolutely still reading. And for me with nonfiction, it's the best way. I have a very I struggle to read nonfiction with my eyes. So a book that I started this morning is People mm-hmm. Change by Vivek Shraya. We I talked about Vivek Shraya, I think in the second episode. It was early Maybe on. Third. It was very mm-hmm. early on. Yeah. One of my favorite books ever. The subtweet by Vivek Shraya. Right. Uh, if good. you haven't heard me talk about it, go back to that episode. It's I gush good. all my feelings out. Yes. Uh, but People <laughs> Change is one of her nonfiction books. And so if you don't know who Vivek Shraya is, God, she's fucking incredible she is an indian canadian trans woman she is an author a musician a model an actor it likes just big time multimedia and this is one of her nonfiction books and it's very short it's the audiobook is only two hours so like i started listening to this morning and i've already listened to a quarter of it and it's kind of like a handbook or a meditation on the idea of change and change often through, <clears throat> at least so far in the book anyway, like appearance change. And uh, it oh. starts off by, you know, with her childhood influences, you know, there's Madonna, there's Hinduism and kind of some others. And I would say that so far, although her trans identity comes up, I don't think it's really about her being trans and her trans mm-hmm. identity. I feel like that shows up a lot more in her other very short, but very excellent book, I'm Afraid of Men. Um, mm. so, so far I'm really digging it. I probably recommend it. I would be shocked if I didn't. Cause I definitely recommend I'm afraid of men. So I don't know, just like go read everything. Has <laughs> done Cause she's so good. Very good. Um, yes. And then the other nonfiction book is one that I started. Uh, I'm only a few chapters in my company had a series of events for black history month. And one of them was uh, a book club reading because we do have a book club for our black employee network. And we chose White Women by Regina Jackson and Syra Rao. That is so good. And I think it's really, really crucial, important reading for white women, especially, but really any woman who wants to truly engage in anti-racism work. I'm going to say that this is not an easy book to read or listen to, but I think that if you truly want to change and be someone who can be a co-conspirator with the black community, you have to set your ego to the side because it addresses a lot of the ways in which white women 
are upholding white supremacy. We not only benefit from it, we uphold it in a lot of uh, the ways we operate. And that Mm -hmm. often by, you know, it's very easy for us to get our feelings hurt as we're trying to engage in the work and then walk away from it because our feelings have been hurt. And so, yeah, I definitely, definitely recommend it. You know, it talks about things like uh, how our kindness can be weaponized and how even just the way white women talk about each other. Oh, behind our backs. Right. And it was funny because I went into it thinking like, yeah, I'm I try to be supportive as much as possible. And like, (laughs) I'm not going to I'm not going to get into the full kind of explanation of the things I do, because I think that's the same kind of unnecessary reinforcing behavior of like, how could you when I'm the person who but I'm reading the preface and there's this call out to the readers that's like, and if you think this is not about you, yes, it's about it you is. too. You also <laughs> are one of these white women. And I realized that I had been doing this thing sure. where I was talking about white feminists as this, like, I'm not a part of that. And like, I know my relationship with my gender is somewhat complicated, but it doesn't mean that I can exempt myself from this group. Like I am a part of the problem. And so I found it incredibly helpful and I'm looking forward to finishing it. It's fabulous on audio because it seems like Regina Jackson writes some of the chapters and Syrah Rao writes some of the chapters. And so there's a different narrator for each. So you know who's kind of talking at any given time. I don't know if it's actually them doing it or not though. So Um, yeah, that is it. What is your official recommendation mm. for this week? Okay, well, my official recommendation is what I mentioned a little bit I touched on last week, Wolfpack. Here's the synopsis. A teenage boy and girl get their lives changed forever when a California wildfire awakens a terrifying supernatural creature. As the full moon rises, all teens come together to unravel the secret that connects them. So, even though I try to stay away from only recommending queer teen shows, I'm recommending this one because there's a story here. You know, it's not, yeah. So it's not just like teenage angst, like, oh, I Mm -hmm. like you, do you like me? You know, that kind of thing. And then having a lot of hormones and angers and kids stomping off. It's not like that. So is that why you haven't recommended Euphoria yet? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't watched it. I don't know. I I haven't finished Euphoria. I started Mm -hmm. watching it and I thought it was really good, but it's also very harsh. It's like a harsh reality that I don't know about. It sounded like it would hurt my heart too much to watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty harsh. So I'll probably get back into it, but it's also very heavy and very deep. Mm. And I, I can't deal with that right now. I just kind of yeah. have to handle things like werewolves. Like that's 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 where I'm at right now. Or physical emotional... 100. <laughs> yeah, physical 100. So Buffy, mm-hmm. we all remember Buffy and this Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, she's actually an arson investigator. And I thought she was a cop the first time I watched it because I wasn't really paying attention. Yes. So uh, remember how I said in the first episode that it's really graphic? I said, uh-huh. you, you couldn't watch it. You personally couldn't yes. watch it because there's a lot of blood and guts and gore yep. and just everything. So these kids are on a bus, a school bus, and they're stuck in a traffic in a traffic jam. And mm-hmm. it's so weird. It's one of those towns you're like, is this a small town? Is this a big town? But like, there's a lot of cars jammed at once. And, it, and they say, I think it says it's on a highway, but it really isn't a highway. It's like... It really, it's like outside my, my door, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden there's like 80 cars piled up. Like, right, like how, how would that mm-hmm. happen? But anyway, so everything is suddenly burning because there's a, a, a fire that go that goes out of control. It gets out of control. It's getting closer and closer to the highway 
and people jump out of their cars. They just like leave their cars. They abandon everything just to get away from the, the, well, all the animals, the woodland creatures are running out of the forest. Oh yeah. Deer and rams. And you're just like, Oh, I got to get out of here. Anyway. So a lot of people die in this because there's this creature that jumps out too. And so there's like massive chaos. You have fire, you have smoke, you have all these animals running, you have people running, you have people screaming. Anyway, so during this whole massive chaos, uh, this creature bites two of the kids. I mean, it kills a bunch of people, yeah. um, but also like bites or scratches these two kids. And so what this, what this whole series is about, it's about how these two teenagers try to figure out what's going on with them. Like mm-hmm. things are definitely changing for them, and, but they're kind of ignoring it out of fear. And then it mm-hmm. becomes too big to ignore. So in this, there's also two siblings. And I say siblings, quote unquote, because they're really not related, but they were raised together. They're not going to fuck, are they? They're not going to fuck. At least they haven't yet. Okay. So it's kind of like there is a, their quote unquote dad finds them. I say them. I think he's actually, I don't really, I can't remember like who the real dad is, but anyway, so Mm -hmm. he knows that they're different. Like they are like werewolves and he's kind of kept it to himself. But they go to school mm-hmm. with these two teens that just got bit. And so they're there to kind of help them. Okay. And so it's not like, oh, wow, we have superpowers. Let's go save the world. You know, they're confused and they're scared. Uh, so they're slowly learning what makes them different. And the good thing is, is that we're learning at the same time. So mm-hmm. we don't know ahead of time what's going to happen. Like, we don't know, oh, don't go in there because this person's in there and they're going to jump out and kill you. It's not like that. It's yeah. you learn as they learn. So it's kind of, I like that. I don't know what it's called. I know it's called something. Yeah. I don't know what it is, I but I like it. And another thing that is revealed between these four people, these four teenagers that make the quote unquote wolf pack. See, there it is. So one of the mm-hmm. guys has severe anxiety and whenever he's having an attack, the other three feel it. So they can feel oh. and they're learning that they can communicate in their minds without you know, calling. Cool. yeah it's kind of cool it has yeah. a, this thing has a lot of potential yeah and so for the first three episodes it appears that there's there's this huge giant werewolf is out to kill them and mm-hmm. then you're like but is it really there's a lot going on and you really don't know who's good who's evil or who the werewolf is like that's the whole thing you need to find out who this werewolf is mm-hmm. and like i said you learn things as you go so we know that Sarah Michelle Geller, she's this arson investigator. And you know that she knows something's up. Like nobody's saying the word werewolf. Nobody wants to say mm-hmm. it uh, because that just throws a whole paranormal panic to yeah. the whole town. This small, giant, little, large yeah. city, whatever this is. It's so weird. Um, and you know that she knows something, but what isn't she telling them slash us since we're learning as well? Mm-hmm. And by the end of episode five, you're like, holy shit, like that. There's like a, you're, there's a moment you're like, oh my God. So I think I know what it, I think I know what's going on. I think mm-hmm. I figured it out, but I can't really talk about it because it's, it's going, it's still ongoing. It's one of those stupid weekly shows that we used to have yes. pre COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can't binge it, but I, I, so I'm, it's not done, but I recommend it because there's plenty of gay kids and they're all about hooking up and Here's something. If you're a werewolf, you're extremely horny. So this is probably why I was team Jacob and not team Edward. So I'm just throwing Uh-oh. that out there. 
from the past. I hear and... that that uh, lines up with what we learned from Radcliffe's uh, werewolf series, which I've never read. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is a, uh, I have had conversations with our friend KB Draper about the Radcliffe series and mm-hmm. being werewolves and stuff. So any sort of trigger warning, there's a lot of drug use and teenage partying. And I'm like, I never partied like this when I was a kid or a teenager, but then I remembered I was a complete introverted nerd. So <laughs> I never had the opportunity, but yeah. I'm sure they did. I just was never invited. So, yeah. but, and it's so weird because like I said, this town is like, it's so fictitious. I don't know if it's small or little, but they have like, there's always like a massive, not really a rave going on, but like a party where there's like the techno mm-hmm. music, you know, and there's, and all these gay people hook up and that like, like, how does that happen in a small town? There's like 12 of you that might be gay. Yeah. Maybe queer. I don't know. So, yeah. but it is entertaining. It's nothing that's going to change your life, but it is entertaining for me. And there are, uh, and here, I love it because I love the fact that I have been watching queer television now, and I've been looking for queer movies and queer shows, you know, for the two plus years that, and before that, since we've been doing Mm -hmm. the show and I love that I can see a couple on TV and it's, I don't even recognize that they're gay. It's just a couple on TV. And I love that I've gone through this whole process and I'm hoping that people see it as a normalcy as well. Yes. So anyway, so that's what I've been watching. That is my official recommendation. And what about you? What is, I love it. Yeah. Okay. So I thought that I would have finished Melania Mackay's book by now. And I do love it very much, the new one. But I got derailed last weekend <laughs> by a list of sapphic manga. And I got very excited. And I mm. sort of dove into one where, here's here's the thing. I'm going to disclaim it right off the bat. The premise is very sketchy. Mm. But the reason I read it is because it was rating so highly on Goodreads that I was like, okay, there has to be something going on here. It is a sapphic romance manga. It's called, I can't believe I slept with you by Miyako Miyahara. And so there's only three volumes. I read the whole thing in like, well, it was last Saturday and there's a twist that happens. So I had to go back and read the whole thing all over again, again. Mm -hmm. which I did yesterday. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so like I said, sketchy promise, please stick with me because I promise it's actually not a super sketchy series. Chio Kaduka, she's 24, she's broke, she quit her job in video gaming a few months prior. She's been wallowing since then. Her wallowing ap- appears to include a lot of alcoholic beverages, let us say. So when the story opens, Kaduka, she's hammered because she's still like she's mid-wallow. And her landlady tells her that she's three months behind in paying her rent. And so Kaduka says, I can't, I can't pay that. I haven't been working. And the landlady says, well, you know what? Have sex with me. And then it comes to the, right. And it comes (laughs) to the morning after. Well, this is why I say the premise is so sketchy. (laughs) So you turn the page and it's (laughs) the next morning they've had sex. Kaduka is confused and alarmed because she's straight. But they work out this arrangement. It's it's a little bit weird, but basically it's like, well, here's the thing. If you do like a bunch of favors for me, it, it will end up kind of covering off. And she said, well, you know, like, I, I don't know. 
somehow they end up in this, like, we're going to move into it in together situation, because that way, if the landlady moves in there, she can rent out her space, use that money uh, to, to pay cover, for right. the exactly. Okay. But I mean, here's the thing that ends up happening. Most of the favors and because it's not and it sounds like oh well you just need to fuck me like 25 times <laughs> but that's not actually what it ends up being it's usually kaduka <laughs> is doing things that just makes her feel cared for and valued because she clearly is like quite a lonely person and because the opening is told entirely from kaduka's perspective and she's hammered mm. we kind of later figure out oh this is a really unreliable telling right of how of their first meeting quote unquote and so then later on we get more information and then kind of a full reveal from the landlady's perspective and it completely recontextualizes that opening That's cool yeah. and a lot of the first book so yeah like i said very highly rated on goodreads so even though because a part of you was like i don't know about this this sounds like real real dubious consent territory but I was so intrigued that I decided to give it a try. And I'm so glad that I did. One other thing I think that's worth calling out right off the bat, Kaduka is 24 and Ritsuka is the landlady. She's 19. See, I did not think that at all. I was like, okay, she's 64. There's like a massive right. age gap. All the people who love age gaps. Can you handle that? Yes. She's 19. She's, yes. she's a bait. What is she doing as a landlady? Like what? Well, Oh. I know. I would also like to know that. But so that's the thing oh, I think okay. is interesting. So there is a power imbalance from like a financial perspective. Right. But it's not the story of like a predatory older woman um, who's taking advantage of someone who's younger than her. So okay. most of it is told from Kaduka's perspective. And one of the things that I personally really loved about this is the way we see her bisexual awakening unfold. It's really, really beautifully done because she thinks at the beginning that she is completely straight. And then she starts to have these kind of like new feelings as the, because not only does the landlady move in and actually she calls her landlady almost right up until the end. Cause at one point she even says like, what's your real name? And she's like, I just call me landlady. I'd really prefer that. But when she moves in, she's like, Jesus Christ, we got to like clean up this apartment. We need to like, you need to start eating normal food. And so she's like cooking for her and she's cleaning for her and taking care of her. And every so often making a crack about like, well, just sleep with me then. But we learn that it's almost like a holding her away thing by making those kinds of comments, like keeping her at arm's length by making her unnerved because she thinks this is a straight oh, person. Okay. She's never mm -hmm. going to be. And to me, and instead, though, because we're following Kaduka's perspective, we see as she starts to feel things that are really confusing at first. And then actually, when she realizes what she's feeling, like it, it becomes almost exhilarating as she just falls more and more and more from her. But because it's a graphic novel, even though we don't necessarily see into Ritsuka, the landlady's perspective, very often, we can see her physical responses to things. And so even halfway through that first volume, we start to see, oh, she might have feelings for Kaduka too, that she's not saying because she's saying these things that are meant to kind of like hold her at arm's length, but there's something going on there. And so I actually think this series has some of the best pining that I've seen <laughs> anywhere <love> <laughs> before. I know, right? Because... Kazuka figures out, oh, I have a crush on Ritsuka. Well, no, landlady, because she doesn't even know her name at that point. Mm -hmm. And then, like, 
at one point even realizes that she's in love with her. But because of the favors, this contract that they signed where like Kaduka is going to do all these favors for her, it actually does really interesting things with, with the pining itself because even when Kaduka knows that she's in love, like she knows that she's completely in love and she even confesses her love at one point. Ritsuka doesn't seem to be able to believe it. And I think it's a combination of Kaduka had said in their very early days, no, I am completely straight. That is never, ever going to change. But I also think she generally has a hard time believing that anyone can care about her because she doesn't have friends. She doesn't interact with family. We don't see like she's quite isolated. And so Kaduka will make an, a gesture, even like asking to like, hey, uh, I want to kiss you. And Ritsuka is like, it's almost like this bittersweet thing because clearly she wants this. Like she wants a relationship with her. She clearly has feelings too, but doesn't believe that she can have it. And I just like, I wanted to wrap her in bubble wrap because <laughs> like she's, oh, come on. So yes, I love seeing how important they become to each other, the way they change and grow. Ritsuka helps Kaduka get out of her funk with the wallowing and the drinking and supports her on her path towards finding a new job. And Kaduka helps Ritsuka learn that she doesn't have to be alone and she actually can be in in a loving and romantic relationship. And so yeah, later on, much later, kind of near the end, we get to learn how their first encounter, that first like, well, hey, have sex with me and then it's the next morning. We learn how it went from Ritsuka's perspective and it completely changed everything. And so it was really fun to go back yesterday and read it all over again. And so I'm not going to explain it at all, but I will say that it reminded me of that twist in Yuri on Ice, which Amanda and I talk about in the special Mm -hmm. episode just about that. But the, the way Amanda was going on about it, recontextualizing things for her, exactly the same for me on this one. (laughs) There are a couple of things that I think could have been better that I think are worth noting. The first is that even with the recontextualization, the consent around the first sexual encounter, I would still call dubious because Kaduka was so drunk, but I do appreciate that that's something that Ritsuka directly addresses later on. So you know, the kind of can't get around the fact that the consent is a little wonky there, but I still felt like it was worth reading anyway. We also get a hint of information kind of towards the end about Ritsuka having a really tough relationship with her family. And we don't actually learn how she becomes a land. Like, how is she a landlady at the age of 19? Right. That's what I'm thinking. What? There is some kind of a story there. We don't learn what it was because there's an author's note at the end where the author basically calls out, yeah, I thought about letting you all know that, but I think it's fine if she's the only one who knows. And I was like, but I want to know. Right. (laughs) Tell me. And also this, I don't think it's fair to call this a gripe, but I will say something that I thought was interesting was that at the end of the final volume in that author's note, we are given a view into their future, who they are as a couple. Um, which I thought was really lovely. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, I would love to see another volume or even just one more chapter that shows us that future and what it looks like. And I'd love to see more of them. But I also appreciate that if we're not going to see that written, at least we know they absolutely have a happily ever after. And it's really lovely and perfect for them. So, but otherwise, like everything was really, really wonderful. I found it to be, it was so sweet. It was quite steamy. 
I actually think, and there, like, there is like a sex scene that happens in it. That's like, there's like a blanket over them. So it's not like the most graphic, but the thing that I thought was the steamiest is actually a hand-holding scene in the second <laughs> volume, which is going to sound nuts. But again, much like the gingerbread decorating. Right. I was going to say, you find the haircut sexy things, the, the haircut. <laughs> it just. And now it is. Yeah. No, it's this like they're laying in bed. They're completely clothed. It was a really cute. So the landlady tends to run cold and Kaduka tends to be like a really warm person. And so that particular day, like, it's just really, really cold. And Kaduka was like, yeah, you can you can hold my hand for heat. Like people did that for me in school. And the landlady's like, so I can just hold it all day. And she's like, yeah, why not? And so it's really cute. It shows them like this part isn't the sexy part, but it shows them like they're eating food. She's typing one handed, like doing all these things through the day because they're holding hands all day. But then instead of like cuddling in bed, it's still just a hand holding thing, but it's that like the confusion for Kaduka of like, Oh, why do I feel this? How does like she's just rubbing her thumb on my hand? Why does this feel so, so good, so gorgeous? So, yes, for people who are looking for a very sweet manga romance, it's only a few volumes long. I really, really loved it. Like that, like I said, that happily ever after, it's so perfect. And I'm willing to fill in the details on my own because at there least there go. was a final note. So, yes, All right. yeah. go get it. Good. It's the cutest. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed the show, please make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll get notified when we release an episode. If you have a friend who you think would like it, please tell them about it. If you'd like to support us, like I said before, we have links in our show notes to our coffee, our newsletter okay. sign up. And if you're inclined to rate and review on your podcast Ooh, app, yeah. we would appreciate it. We would. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, we have links in the show notes for that as well. Or you can just search for Curly Recommended. And I know everybody knows how to reach us on all the social media platforms. Or you can just email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Woohoo! working got it no that is zoom what am i looking for you know what's great i go through the exact same process every other week i've done this every other week for more than two years now and i still say each time what is the name of this software i'm looking for (laughs) every time every single time what could be better anyway start when you like let me take a drink you know, I do so bad at polygraph tests. Well, it's a good even though I'm not lying. Shit. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's I would just do so bad at it because, like, near my anxiety right now, just to even say the intro, I was like. Oh. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>